We read this morning in God's Word, from the book of Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, we're going to actually begin at verse 29. Exodus 12, beginning at verse 29, then we're going to be reading through verse 42 as our scripture reading, but we'll be noting several other passages uh, throughout uh, this section of Exodus as well. So I invite you to keep God's word open. Exodus chapter 12, beginning to read then at verse 29. Let us hear the very word of the Lord to us. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. Bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. The Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. The people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for they were not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. As far the reading of God's word thus far. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we read of your power, of your might, of how when you say it will happen, it will happen, how you deliver without Israelites even lifting a hand, how you plunder the Egyptians just by your word. And Lord, May we realize just how great you are and that 
we look forward to the time that we can see you face to face. And, and we ask, Lord, that, we, that Pastor Bob will feed us this day with your truths, that we may go out rejoicing from this church, and that we may spread your good news through this land around us in, in the week ahead. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to look at four things this morning under the title of leading the people. We see Moses emerging here as the one who is the leader of the people. He is going to be given a number of responsibilities. He's going to have a number of opportunities to be the one who leads the people. And in that leadership of God's people as he leads them out of Egypt, we again see Uh, The beautiful tie-in between what is happening here in the book of Exodus and the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as being the leader of us as his people as well. So we want to look at four things. One, the Exodus itself that we have just read about. Secondly, the presence of God that we'll note in in a few minutes. Thirdly, the crossing that they actually engage in as they cross the Red Sea. And then that'll bring us to Exodus chapter 15 and the song of Moses. So the Exodus, the presence, the crossing, and the song. In each one of these, we see the leadership of Moses pointing us, as I've said, to the leadership of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So when we look at the the Exodus, that which we have just read about, we, we could say, how did that come about? What is that the result of? And it's actually the result of three things. One, it's the result of this last plague, this death of the firstborn that we read about in verses 29 through 32, where those homes of the Egyptians that did not have the blood upon the doorpost, there is death. And we are told in this passage that there was not a home in all of Egypt where there was not death. Death took place in every single home. And it is because of that plague that Pharaoh relents. Pharaoh, in in great irony, because the last time he and Moses spoke, it was, get out of my presence, I'm never going to let you go. Get out of here, I never want to see you again. In great irony in this, 10th plague, what is it that happens? He calls Moses and Aaron. He asks them to come. He identifies them as the people of Israel. He identifies them as a sovereign nation. He identifies that the one who is delivering them is the Lord. He commands them, up, out, leave, get out of here, now. He even asks, for a blessing from them. This plague, this tenth plague of the death of the firstborn is indeed that which is going on here leading Pharaoh to finally submit, to finally bend his knee, to have his will crushed by the work of the Lord. But this exodus as well is also because of the blood. If the Israelites had not put that blood of the Passover lamb upon their doorposts, they also would not have been let out of the land. 
they are being set free. Yes, because God punished the Egyptians with that 10th plague. But they're also being allowed to leave under God's direction because they, by faith, did that which they were commanded to do. But there is a third reason for the exodus. That's because of the promise that God made. Go back with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 15. God covenanted with Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, we we have that picture of the the animals and so on being split, that, that covenant that God is making with them. Go back to verse 1, Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now go down to verse 12. The sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. What did we just read about back here in Exodus chapter 12? But the fulfillment of that promise of God. He had told Abraham, No, Abraham, you don't have any children, but you will. I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham, on top of that, you're going to become a great nation. But that nation is going to be enslaved for 400 years. Then I shall bring them out. See, the Exodus not only is about this tenth plague, God's punishment upon these godless Egyptians, It's not only about the faith of the Israelites in putting faith in that blood upon the doorpost as they were commanded to do. But this is about God's covenant promise. This is what God said he would do. And did you note how the author, uh, how Moses in Exodus chapter 12 says that it's on the very day, on the very day that God ordered it. On the very day that God planned it. On the very day that God decreed it. Not on some day which Pharaoh decided to do this. Not on a day in which the people of Israel decided to leave. But it was the day that God ordained for them to leave. A day that as we look forward into history is exactly the day 
that the hymn we just sang about was all about. The day of our deliverance as well. A decreed exact moment in time and history. Book of Numbers chapter 33 tells us uh, in, in reiterating this of the fact that, that this whole thing is a picture for us of the fact that, that God is indeed the sovereign one. God is indeed the ruler. Points us again to that picture of Christ in Philippians chapter 2 where, where we read of the fact that God has given to him a name that is above every name, that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. The picture of Pharaoh begging Moses, leave, leave. The picture of Pharaoh, bless me. It's the picture you see. Those rulers of this world that are going to need to submit and bow their knee before Christ, that when he comes again, they in the hardness of their hearts have rejected him, are going to bend their knee. They are going to need to submit. In Colossians, Paul writes about it this way, that Christ has come and he has disarmed all those who are opposed to him. That he did by the triumph of the cross. See, this, what we read, is a picture for us again of that great work of Jesus Christ coming to deliver. It's a picture of victory. God used a particular word in describing this exodus. He said that the people of Israel plundered the Egyptians. That's a picture of warfare. That's a picture of, of, a, of somebody who has defeated an enemy. That, you see, my friends, is what Christ has done for you. Christ has so won his victory for you over sin, over death, over hell. That you're a, a people that have plundered this world. We become rulers of this world because we're joint heirs with Christ. This is who we are. We're not some sad, sap people. We are the people of the victory. We are the people leaving sin behind, plundering, following the victorious rule and reign of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But there's more to the account. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles open yet, to the 13th chapter of Exodus. 13th chapter of Exodus. We'll pick it up at verse 17. Okay, we, we had the order to leave. We, we kind of get the picture. They're leaving. They're gathering. Okay, they're on the move. Verse 17, after this time in which the, the, the Passover is described again and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, is talked about, we pick up the narrative now, verse 17 of chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, 
God did not leave them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved from Succoth and encamped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord, note, and the Lord went with went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, we've all probably known the Sunday school story. We're familiar with it. We've seen it on the Sunday school page. And there it is. Okay, It's exactly as we're told here. There is a pillar of cloud that leads them by day, a pillar of fire by night, so that God's presence is continually with them. See, that's the point. It's not that we go, ooh, look at the cloud, look at the fire. It's God's presence. God was with them. He didn't leave them. He didn't just bring them out and say, okay, now you're on your own. Hope you can make it to Canaan. Didn't really leave you a map or directions. Hope you find your way. Oh, by the way, you know, I'll do what I can to to hold off Pharaoh, but, you know, I'm, I'm going away. God is present. God is there. God is active. In fact, if we go a little bit further into the text, go to chapter 14, we learn something else was going on. Chapter 14, verse 19. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So now we learn that not only was there a pillar of cloud, but there was also a pillar of fire, and there was the angel of God. Do you realize what we've just read? Do you realize what what God is saying to us here in this Old Testament passage? How does God display himself in the Old Testament when it comes to building the tabernacle? What happens? There is this Shekinah glory of God described as what? A cloud. What is it that on the Mount of Transfigurations makes an appearance? A cloud. What is that cloud the picture of? What is that cloud the symbol of? That cloud is the symbol of the presence of God the Father. But you also had a pillar of fire. Follow that through scripture. What is that fire associated with? But the presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember Pentecost, what appeared to be on their head? Tongues of fire. Third, you have the angel of God. If you've been in our Thursday morning Bible study, you know that that we've come across that, that, that title often in the book of Genesis, we read about it here 
uh, in Exodus and numerous other places, we come across that title. It is not an angel of God, which means any old angel, or a angel of God. It is specifically noted as the angel of God. That is the Old Testament way of describing Christ. So what have we just been told? That when God led them out, God was with them, God was present with them. How? As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what did the text say? He never left them. What does Jesus say to us as his people? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. See, that little snippet okay, is the reminder that after we have been saved, after salvation has come, after God in his grace and in his mercy has brought us forth, God's presence is always with us. You're not on your own, my friend. You're not out there just struggling by yourself as some lonesome Christian, struggling against the the problems of sin. God is present in all of his fullness. He is present with you as Father, as Spirit, as Son. To never leave, to never forsake. That's what's pictured for us here. God's presence. As they leave Egypt, God is there leading them. God is there protecting them. As we come to next week's Lord's Day, Lord willing, we'll look at the fact that not only is he leading, not only is he protecting, but he's also providing for them everything they need. See, the point is, my friends, that's us. This is us. God is with you. He's present with you. Thirdly, but there is still a crossing to be done. See, we we, we read about this pillar of fire and pillar of cloud, but when we read about it in chapter 13, we're still on the Egypt side of the Red Sea. They still need to go through the Red Sea yet. That still needs to happen. So pick it up with me at at chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharoth, between Megal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephron. And you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. They did so. They wander around at the command of God to draw Pharaoh out. Which is exactly, if you know the account, is exactly what happens. Go with me down to verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, 
the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Through the sea. Hebrews 11, verse 29 commenting on this, says it is by faith that the people of Israel went through the Red Sea. It is by faith. And what an act of faith it was. As as you read that description, just think about it for yourself. Think about you holding your children. Holding your, your baby in your arms looking at these great walls of water on either side. Needing to take the first step, the second, the third, until you're in the middle of this great wall of water. You need to keep walking. You notice that the ground that you're walking on isn't even muddy. It's not even mucky. It's not mushy. It doesn't hinder you in any way. But the ground is completely dry. Yet you see the walls of water. It is by faith, Hebrews tells us, that the people of Israel walked through. Moses, by God's power, performs the miracle. It is Moses who lifts his hand. It is Moses, God's servant, that is used by God to to perform this great miracle. But it is the people who need to walk through by faith. But that's not the only place that this passage is commented on in the New Testament. Finger here at Exodus chapter 14. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Apostle Paul makes an interesting comment regarding this. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10. And here we, we just keep seeing these connections between Exodus, between Moses, between these events and Christ. They, they just keep coming. 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. It's obvious what he's referring to. And all were baptized into Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea. What does Paul see this event that we just read about here in Exodus 14, this going through the sea as? He sees it as a baptism. That that these people, by, by faith, going through these great walls of water is a baptism. And how does he phrase it? We're baptized into Moses. Why? Why? Why would you use that language? Because Moses is the one who gave them the instructions. Go, walk through. And they are placing their faith in Moses. Moses told us to do this. We, by faith, will do what Moses has instructed us to do. And Paul says, that's a baptism. Now think of the significance of that. Think of, think of how Paul is talking here. Who's being baptized? Everyone who's walking through. Fathers. Mothers, children, infants, they were all baptized into Moses. If you ever get into a discussion with with somebody who doesn't believe in the necessity of infant baptism, take them to this passage. What do you think they did? Leave their infants on the one side, on the Egyptian side? Of course not. They took their infants with them. They by faith. Next Lord's Day, the Lord willing, will will have a baptism. And and it will be parents by faith presenting their children. It will be an act of faith. But it's not a baptism into Moses. What is it? It's a baptism into Christ. Paul in Romans chapter 6 and in Galatians chapter 3 speaks about that our baptism now is not a baptism into Moses, but our baptism is into Christ. Why? Because when we come to this baptismal font, what we're saying is, I place my hope and trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. It's one of the reasons we address those questions to parents. You know, do, do you believe? If you have faith, then come to the waters of baptism. Bring your children, bring your infants, just as they by faith walk through. We by faith are baptized into Christ, trusting His blood, His righteousness alone for our salvation 
and for our children's salvation. That we trust that that blood that was shed upon the cross. That door frame is the only blood that, that ever needs to be shed for the forgiveness of our sin. Again, another foreshadowing. Another picture for us. But we're not done with this little section. Go to chapter 15. What do we have there? Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Now where are they? They're on the other side of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his host are drowned. They've been baptized into Moses. They by faith have walked through. They've been delivered by the blood of the Lamb. They are now, we could say, safe. What do they do? They sing their song. This is the first song, by the way, recorded in the Bible. Side note. Thirteen times in this song, the Lord is specifically mentioned. This is a song about the Lord. It is a song about the Lord's triumph over Pharaoh. This is not, oh, Moses, look what I did. I, I, you know, raised my staff. Look at me, Moses. I, I was involved in these ten plagues. The whole song is about that which the Lord has done. The victory the Lord has brought and the reign of the Lord. That the Lord rules, that the Lord reigns, that the Lord is in control. This is not the last time this song was ever sung. Go to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, chapter 15. Verse 1, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Notice the connection. Notice the connection that begins this. Plagues, fullness of plagues. Ten plagues, seven plagues. The number ten, the number seven, both indicate completeness. Here's where it comes to an end. What happens with the seventh plague? It comes to an end. Human history ends. It stops. That's it. What happens with the tenth plague? Israel is delivered. Finally, fully, completely. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing. Listen to this. They sing what? The song of Moses. In glory. The song that we shall sing is the song of Moses. We're going to sing. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown in the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise Him. 
That's the song of glory. The song of Moses. Exodus chapter 15. The deliverance of God's people. Celebrate it. That's what you and I shall do. For all of an eternity, brother and sister, we shall sing the song of Moses for all of eternity. But note the verse. They shall sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. You see, the song that we sing in glory, the song of Moses that we sing, is not going to be about a pharaoh being drowned in the Red Sea. It's not about the exodus of Exodus chapter 12. It's not about the crossing of that Red Sea that we read in Exodus chapter 14. The song that we shall sing is indeed the song of Moses, the song of deliverance, the song of triumph, the song of victory, but it is indeed the song of the Lamb. The song of Christ. There's that connection again. Moses, you see, is only foreshadowing for us this great, glorious victory of Christ. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. Your righteous acts then revealed. Father, thank you for giving us a song to sing. A song of victory. A song of triumph. A song of your presence. A song of your deliverance. A song of blood. A song of salvation. A song of hope, a song of assurance. A song shall never leave our lips. A song of Moses and of the Lamb. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.